Hi, this is JD Sampson, and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Queering the Air here on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Jacob, and I'm going to be joining you for the next hour from 3 to 4 p.m. here on your local radical media station. Before we kick things off, I just want to start by acknowledging today that we are broadcasting on the stolen lands of the Jerry people of the Kulin Nations. I want to pay my respect to elders past and present. Um, this land was never ceded, and the effects of colonization are ongoing. And I also, while we're speaking on this topic, want to acknowledge the amazing work of queer and trans Indigenous people, not only around NAM, but also across so-called Australia as artists, advocates, and change makers in this space. Um, so welcome to Queering the Air. Today we've got a very interesting program lined up for you. I'm joined in the studio today by Heaney from the Queer Death Collective, who's going to be speaking about um, their upcoming event, the Queer Death Cafe, and all things related to queerness and death. So I'm, I'm really intrigued um, about what this conversation is going to cover. Later on, we're going to be hearing a bit of a speech from a vigil in memory of Rodri, um, who was a trans-Peruvian man who sadly died in Indonesian custody um, in mid-August this year. And then to finish off the show, we've got an interview with Dirty Versace, who is a non-binary queer alien performer, um, and they recently launched themselves at an event at Miscellanea. So we're going to be hearing from them and their new track um, called Rainbow Light Beam. So very exciting show coming up. I'm going to go through some community service announcements and we'll be right back after this. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. PX Fano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQA plus communities and meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Programme. For more information and to hear our podcast episodes, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash PXFANA, spelt P-X-W-H-A-N-A-U. Hey, 
Welcome back, Queering the Air, joined by myself, Jacob. We are now going to be speaking about the Queer Death Collective, which is an art, education, and advocacy group that explores death literacy through the lens of queerness, spirit, and culture. And they've got an event coming up on Tuesday, September 6th, the Queer Death Cafe. Joining me now in the studio is the wonderful Heaney. Heaney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, they are looking exceptionally bright today in purple. (laughs) Maybe we can start off if you want to tell me a bit about yourself, your name, your pronoun, and where did this interest in death begin? Sure. Um, uh, Kia ora, ko hini toku ingoa. So my name's Hini. I'm from New Zealand. Um, I've been in Australia for uh, probably about 12, 13 years. Um, I've been doing the Death Cafe with Alex now um, a few months. We've had our first event and we're looking to do our second event this Tuesday. And basically it's just a safe space um, to for people to talk about death, which is generally a taboo topic. Um, but a bit about myself. Um, I grew up in New Zealand and, and for me uh, a funeral service was very common to have your person in your home for a few days and so being around dead bodies was kind of no issue for me. Um, I I feel like I might have a bit of a unique experience around kind of um, dead bodies with having a father who was also an industrial designer um, who designed machines that kind of killed sheep and so being around that stuff was very normal to me. I'm kind of surprised that I'm not made vegan from experiencing um, (laughs) these sights and these sounds and these smells. But, you know, that was just normal to me. So being around a dead body was very normal to me as well. Um, And when I came to Australia and kind of started seeing funeral services um, for white people, it just felt very... um, desensitized I just was like where's where's the emotion like where's the connection Um, it's like people would go to a chapel and they wouldn't even cry for like one hour and that was it and that was all the time that they had with their person Um, but for me growing up it was like you'd spend three days wailing with a group of people um, for three days and then kind of there was there was more community more camaraderie and connecting with other people at the end of that person's life so that you felt supported. Um, And I just kind of felt really sad when I came here and saw what funerals looked like um, for the larger population. Um, Not saying that their way of doing things was wrong by any means, but uh, I felt sad. I said, yeah, it kind of, it bothered me. It bothered me, but um, also kind of thinking about, you know, when it when it's my turn to kind of jump off the perch, um, who's going to be looking after and that and what is it going to look like, all of these other white funerals that I've been going to. Um, so, yeah, my, my interest in, in death work probably started about six years ago. Um, I was working at a high tea venue and so it's a lot of around uh, ritual and family events and kind of looking after these families and celebrating and it was mostly like hens parties and bridal parties and so very um, heteronormative gendered uh, events and honestly just bored the shit out of me to be quite frank not not that it was not an invalid um, celebration but there's there's 
just no space for who I was in that particular space. Um, and so uh, I've never really like believed in, in weddings as such. Like it's not like something I um, prescribe to as, as an institution. But um, when it comes to death, I'm like, yep, <laughs> I can definitely do that. And I feel a certain comfortability about it. Um, growing up with a father who was like a, a, I guess you could say a minister or a bishop within a religion and I'm watching him do all these services, I'm kind of very comfortable around um, that space um, and and kind of connecting with communities. So it's, it's felt like a very natural progression for me to kind of move towards death space. Mm, it's really interesting to hear your experience of both different cultures. And I do agree um, in Western cultures, it is a very taboo topic, death, which is why I'm really interested to hear all about, you know, what the, the queer death collective is and what kind of inspired you to create it. Well, um, it was actually Alex who found myself and Shay, um, who's another trans man who at the time were putting together a website called The Guided Passage. Um, and we had spoken about um, advocacy work for trans people at end of life, um, ensuring that they, you know, knew that um, what they needed to get in, or in line in order to kind of keep their identity safe at end of life. So having a, uh, what's the word, executor of the will, um, and having that person allocated and being in, in contact with them at all times so that uh, when you did pass that you you weren't just kind of like if you had a bad relationship with your family your family came in and go oh we're very happy to have our daughter back but they're a son mm. you, that that they wouldn't kind of like write over that person's identity which happens more than we kind of like to think about and know about which I'm hearing about more so now that I am working in, in death space or funerals in particular. Mm, and I'm, I'm interested as well, what do you think are some of the, the key issues or themes that you see between death and queerness? I think erasure, like having that identity completely erased by the people who are coming in to mourn and... I do understand that, you know, the, the funeral service is for those people who are left behind. Um, but if the family comes in, and again, if there's like a separation of family and as, as queer and trans people, um, not a lot of us come from, you know, particularly safe, healthy families of birth. Um, so the chances of that um, kind of coming to a crashing end when half the friends might not be invited to that service because they're queer or because they're trans or they're not accepted by that particular family, um, that that worries me. And so I think it's about ensuring the, the safety of the, the person and their relationships with their chosen family is as strong as what the legal, um, the legal standing is of families. So next of kin... Um, when a person dies, your next of kin is is next in line to kind of take care of um, your body and um, clearing your estate. Uh, but if you have an executor of your will appointed, then the executor will take care of those things for you. So it do doesn't necessarily land on the family of birth, but mm -hmm. it goes to somebody who you choose. And so you'll feel a bit more empowered if you can kind of go out and choose that person. Normally it's given to a spouse um, 
but for those of us who don't want to have like a long-term partner, like, who's that going to be? It's going to be your friends. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's more about um, so the just correct me if I'm wrong here. The executor yeah. of the will is the self-appointed person um, that you get to choose to yes. look after you after death. That's correct. I see. So you, are, as an executor of the will, you're responsible for um, closing the estate if there's any finances involved, um, arranging the funeral. Um, I'm just trying to think. My brain's gone kind of... It does with legal things. It kind mm. of goes a bit blank. Um, but basically doing all the hard yards and looking after your person. I see. Yeah. yeah. So important. It's it's another one of those issues about the intersection of, you know, the, le- the legal system and, and queerness and how often our identities are really hard to be put down on paper, right, and align with these systems that were designed for cis straight people. Yeah. Yeah. The nuclear family. Mm, absolutely. And um, I know you came from a religious upbringing, but you no longer prescribe to that religion. And you spoke a little bit earlier about <laughs> yeah. your um, growing up with your father and everything. But I'm wondering, has your relationship with death changed? Um, I feel a lot more safer around it, to be honest, because um, I was raised, uh, and I will say I was raised Mormon and... And it was a very, um, like some people call it a cult. I don't necessarily think of it as a cult. Like it, it's pretty culty, but um, I, it's a high demand religion. So it's not just a Sunday school. It's um, it's family home evening every Monday. It's youth groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's service um, activities on the weekend and then church for three or four hours on a Sunday. So it's, it's very heavily involved. And then I went to a Mormon high school as well. Mm. Um, so, look, it, the religious trauma, I kind of, it's on par with Catholics, but uh, I guess it's just like a different kind of flavor of religious existence. Mm. My relationship to death, um, I feel a lot safer around it now growing up with, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't get married and have children. Mm. That was it, like... Um, and I think that's probably why I don't prescribe to um, marriage as well, is because it was so ingrained that marriage and children was part of the way that you were going to be saved. Um, and so, of course, my natural knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, fuck that, I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> and, and being in a female body um, and not really associating with that female, female body, it felt kind of like very, very um, suffocating. Mm. Um my, my understanding of death now is it's, it's more of a transition than, than anything. Like I am a spiritual person. Um, I do kind of believe in energy and that, you know, that energy just transfers somewhere else. Mm. So it's just another transition. Um, and after kind of, I guess, in my head transitioning, from male to non, uh, f- from female to non-binary, mm-hmm. um, the idea of death uh, is just like a physical version. I think of what I've already processed emotionally. Wow! And like a death of death of ego death. Yeah. So letting go a part of yourself that was your identity, and letting that go. So what's the physical death? It's just physical death. Yeah. It's just another transition. It's just another stepping stone. Such a beautiful way of, of looking at this um, this area, which, you know, for me, I have never even given it a thought. So 
I'm glad that you feel very safe now and, and in a place where, you know, it's um, a lot better than, than what it was. Um, and tell me a bit more about, um, you mentioned your non-binary, and I think we had a discussion before this interview. <laughs> you had a funeral for your death name. Yes. Which I love. <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I think my frustration with having to host like baby showers and hens parties was hitting an all-time high. I was also getting sober and... Um, you know, a lot of things were starting to hit home and all that, like, baggage that I'd been drinking away for 20 years kind of came back to haunt me. And and I had all this grief, and I just didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And so um, there was talk of dead names and, and, and how people related to their dead names. And I had um, legally changed my name about a year prior to having this service, um, and it was very freeing and very liberating to kind of feel like I was reclaiming, I guess, a Māori name when I'd been given the name Cindy at birth. And I never, never liked that name. It's like a blonde Barbie doll and I'm anything but mm. presenting. And so to be able to have the, I guess, the autonomy and the power to be able to choose my name and to reclaim that and... And in changing my name, I didn't want to, like, abandon where I was from. So Henny is a transliteration of Cindy, a Māori transliteration. Mm. Um, and I changed my middle name, Vari, uh, Marie, to a Scottish Gaelic version of that called Vari. Um, so in essence, I was kind of going back to my roots rather than, like, throwing the baby out with bath water. It was kind of more like returning um, to a place where I was from rather than dying mm. wow yeah. a funeral is a, a place of rebirth yeah not just a place of death absolutely <laughs> ah this topic's so <laughs> multifaceted isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> peeling back these layers um wow and so i know you've got uh this upcoming event the queer death cafe yes. happening on tuesday what can we expect from this event uh, so a death cafe um for those people who don't know it's a social franchise that started in the uk in 2011 um, and it is. it was started by, I think, a psychotherapist. And you can find all that information on deathcafe.com. Anyone can host a, feud, a death cafe. And it is basically just safe space for people to talk about death, to bring their questions and to bring um, their experiences and to share that with other people away from people who are trying to sell you a service, like mm. funeral celebrants or directors or people who are trying to pitch kind of whatever um, it really is kind of more about um, empowering people to kind of come up with their own concepts and what they need and what they think um, around death and dying mm. a lot of people don't really have that space and it has been a taboo topic for a long time um, but there's a big movement happening and a lot a lot more people are starting to kind of really consider that and coming full circle um, starting to kind of feel a bit more empowered by, you know, looking after your own, caring for your own people, mm. um, having that person in your home, having a home funeral service if you want to. Um, it's all very possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you've already hosted one of these events, right? Yes. What kind of people attended? Uh, it was such a diverse crowd. Uh, so we had... Um, we had trans, queer, gay, lesbian. Um, we had uh, medical professionals who were working in palliative care, a doctor, psychologist, 
Uh, we had artists, so we had a tattooist and a painter. Uh, we had a funeral celebrant, um, aged care disability workers, poets, writers. Uh, who else do we have? Oh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's well, I mean, death affects everyone, so no mm. one's kind of immune to it. But I think the what pulled people there was... Um, just a desire to kind of have space to talk about it with other people who are actually also enthusiastic about death because it's not really something that a lot of people like to talk about. Yeah, their not own really mortality. Your, own, your usual dinner uh, conversation, <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, that sounds super exciting. Where can we go to find some more information? Um, I'm just trying to think. So you can visit um, my Instagram or Alex's Instagram. I'm at... R.I.P. Cindy Marie um, in the bio there's a link there and you can just sign up this one's going to be on Zoom um, so if you are worried about COVID and getting out then this one's definitely a safe <laughs> safe option um, but we'll be going back to in person uh, the following month sensational and, and we'll pop some links um, in our show notes as well so head to our website 3cr.org.au forward slash queering the air Heaney, thanks so much for coming in and, and sharing all of your insights. It's been amazing. Thank you. And I know you had a bit of a song recommendation. I did. Um, I actually put it together on my playlist for my funeral service. Um, it's called, um, oh gosh, where is it? It's by Sylvan Esso uh, and it's called Funeral Singers. Funeral Singers. Perfect. Well, you're on 3CR, Queering the Air. Um, we just heard an interview with Heaney from the Queer Death Collective. And this is Funeral Singers.
Welcome back to 3CR Queering the Air here on your Sunday afternoon. It's 3.26 and we just had a really interesting conversation with Heaney from the Queer Death Collective. If you want to learn a bit more about queerness and death and go along to their event on Tuesday, you can follow them on Instagram at queer underscore death underscore underscore uh, collective. So really fascinating chat there. We're going to now pivot a little bit towards um, a recent vigil that happened in memory of Rodri, um, which was held in Melbourne on September 4th at 11am. So Rodrigo, a Peruvian trans man, sadly died in Indonesian custody in mid-August after travelling to Bali on a honeymoon with his husband. So he was detained after state authorities found traces of cannabis and under Indonesia's draconian drug laws, he later died in hospital after being in police custody. So the vigil was a part of an international solidarity movement um, demanding that the Peruvian state conduct an investigation and provide an immediate autopsy. So my understanding is that there's not a whole lot of certainty around specifically what happened here, um, but I think it's yeah it's really important for the sake of this man, his family, and, and the community that we really get some answers on this. So um, here's a, a bit of an excerpt from the opening speech of this morning's vigil. I'm going to begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people, traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today, and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Today, we are gathering here demanding justice for Rodrigo Ventosilla and Sebastián Marañano. Rodrigo and Sebastián were two Peruvian trans activists. They, all their life, they've been fighting. Rodrigo was born when he was six months old. He's been fighting since the beginning of his life. And I'm very honored and very happy to be here to celebrate his life, to celebrate love, respect. And I thank you guys for coming as well here. And I would like first to share a little bit of information about what happened to them uh, in Bali. Rodrigo and Sebastián, a married couple and transmasculine Peruvian citizens, traveled to Bali for their honeymoon in early August. Rodrigo was detained for his gender expression at Denpasar International Airport and a search of his suitcase found traces of cannabis as well as medication for his mental health. His husband, Sebastián, who arrived on an earlier flight, came to his aid and was taken away by the Indonesian Drug Investigation Agency police with no charges against him. While in police custody, Without communication and in total lack of protection, both suffer extortion. Both suffer physical and psychological abuse. 
and were pushed to ingest the pills for which they were arrested and taken in a state of unconsciousness to the intensive care unit of Denpasar Hospital, where Sebastian, who was never charged, was given the antidotes for the intoxication, but Rodrigo was left to agonize and die. Sebastian was, was rescued thanks to the efforts of the families and human rights organizations against the indifference of the Peruvian government and the obstruction of the Peruvian consulate in Indonesia. The consul, knowing the danger they were in at the hands of the Indonesian police, decide not to act and ignore the pleas of the families and the international community, taking five days to show up at the hospital, one day after Rodrigo's death. In support of the complaint filed by the families demanding the Peruvian state an investigation and sanction for the crime of torture, we will rally in Peruvian embassies and in different countries to show up and demand justice upon the arrival of Rodrigo's body at the Peruvian state to perform an immediate necropsy. We want justice. justice. We want an investigation and we want to know what happened to Rodrigo. We want that his life it's not waste. We want to know what happened. Finally, we as Peruvian queers, we want to raise our voice because despite being far from home, we are always present, always present. Our community is the family we choose and we decide to stand here to support Rodrigo and Sebastian. Thank you. Welcome back to Queering the Air here. This is Jacob, and we just heard audio from the vigil in memory of Rodri held in Melbourne uh, this morning at 11 a.m. So Rodrigo, a Peruvian trans man, sadly died in Indonesian state custody in mid-August after travelling to Bali on a honeymoon with his husband, uh, so the search for answers continues about what actually happened here um, and how he passed away. But if you want to support um, the legal fees, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash M-A-L-O-M-B-R-E zero. Um, and there's a couple of Instagram pages you can follow to stay updated uh, on the case. We'll pop all of those in our show notes at 3cr.org dot au forward slash queering the air so solidarity there with um rodrigo and his family and the community um and of course all of the lgbt plus people uh from peru so turning the dial a little bit now um i'm gonna jump to a song um to segue into our next section this song is called resting power and it's by a local um non-binary artist dirty versace and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. 
gently with the tide in me I can't keep up Why would I want you here? After what you said last night You drop away and then you want me back I don't know if I've any love left You're on 3CR, Queering the Air. That one was Resting Power by Dirty Versace. Now, earlier today, I was able to sit down with them and have a little bit of a chat um, about their artistry, um, their new songs. So if you haven't heard of them, Dirty Versace is a non-binary queer musician taking intimacy to the dance floor through a blend of genres. Recently, they held an event, The Birth of Dirty Versace, um, at Miscellanea, originally heralding from Mianjin, Brisbane, but now residing in Nam. Um, I think they're a really cool musician, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> so, hope you enjoy uh, this conversation we had earlier today. Dirty Versace, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Hello, thanks for having me. Yes, feeling good. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling great. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, I want to start off with this name. It's such a, a juicy, delicious name, Dirty Versace. So how did you come up with it? Okay, so um, I grew up in Brisbane, and there was a time where everyone wore Versace cologne, mm. like, out to gay clubs. Um, and... I was just like reflecting with my friend about my experiences growing up in Brisbane. And I was like, yeah, 
every time I smell Versace, it just reminds me of, like, growing up. And every time I smell it, it just reminds me of, like, Dirty Versace. And my friend's like, that's a really good drag name. And, yeah, that's how the name came about. (laughs) My goodness. Well, I feel like I need to experience the Brisbane clubs. I've had a a couple of friends make similar comments about there seems to be some weird smells lingering. Um, But it's a a fantastic name. And and so you grew up in Brisbane. Did you start out initially as a drag artist there or or a musician? No. So I've been, uh, like, making music and producing music for, like, 13 years. I've done under a few names before. That's kind of my background Mm. is as a music producer. Um, so I made music under the name of Youth Fire for a, a while, and then I played a, a midsummer event in uh, January 2020, and I met my drag mum who put me in drag for the first time, which is Wolf Queen, and that was my first time in drag, and then, yeah, so it's kind of like actually a new thing wow. for my creative endeavours. Yeah, so you, you kind of converged the two together to form. And was that around the time Dirty Versace was born as well? Was 2020? Or? Yeah, January t- uh, 2020. I, I, didn't, I can't remember if I had the name then, but it was like, that was my first time in drag and I felt like I was on the cusp of something then. And yeah, the name came and I was like, okay, let's just roll with it and see what happens. Let's do it. And, and here we are today, two and a half years later, even though it feels like a millennium um, after yeah. COVID. <laughs> um, or a little blip. You're like, I'm like, where are we? What year is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, literally. I, I still think it's um, 2021 sometimes. I mean, I never know. Yeah. I think it's 1987. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the mullet would, would tell me, yes, it is. <laughs> um, so exactly. tell me a bit about who are some of your... I guess, inspirations? Because you have a very sort of distinctive, like, feel-good, kind of poppy mixed with some other genres sound. So what inspires you when you come up with new music? Hmm, okay. Uh, so one of the things that's really inspired my music production is, like, learning to DJ. Um, and I feel like that's really inspired my production style because I just love, I love DJing, and I, I think just like, you know, creating mixes and like hearing such, you know, crazy spectrums of like house music and techno and all these kinds of things, but then like, my, I'm also really inspired by pop music, so I've kind of like merged the worlds together, but my inspiration really is to, is dance music, mm. so yeah. I could talk for ages about this. Um, and also, like, my my original inspirations, like, growing up was, like, David Bowie. So I've taken a lot from David Bowie in my Dirty Versace um, kind of, like, character. But also Andy Warhol as well was a huge influence. So, I don't know, it's kind of a mixed bag of things kind of just jumbled together. Mm. I love it. And the brand is very much queer, alien, drag so did that all kind of come from as you said before like a a mix of of david bowie or or was there a moment where you were like no we're not doing human stuff anymore we're doing alien things now yeah it's just yeah it's a funny one i don't know where the the flick uh sorry the switch flicked with the alien kind of persona thing um maybe i think it was like through lockdown where i felt just really 
like disconnected from the world. Mm. Um, and, and then it made me reflect on how I've probably always felt like that and maybe always felt like a bit of an outsider or a lone wolf. So I felt like I just wanted to channel that into something that people could relate to. But also, yeah, like David Bowie, um, his Ziggy Stardust persona was like um, an alien kind of rock star that landed on Earth. And I was like, you know, that's kind of fun in camp. I want to take that and like put my own spin on it. Instead of being a rock star, I'm a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love it. It's it's giving metaphor, not just uh, not just looks. There's depth. We love. And you Thank you recently you. Um, released a track, uh, Rainbow Light Beam, um, which you launched yeah. at Miscellanea last week. Um, yes. Tell us a bit more. What's the track all about? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, there's many layers of the track. But if I just if I go straight to the core of it, it's like the track I I think from two different perspectives. One is uh, um, one is like uh, I'm talking to a lover who's just really high, and there's just like a disconnect with our relationship. So the chorus is, is them just like spinning out and just being like high, and then in the second verse I'd flip to their perspective and sing from their perspective. So it's about the it's about that basically. Mm, so disconnecting from a lover who is potentially also high. <laughs> yes, and you try every time you try to have a serious conversation with them, they're just like <laughs> not there. Yeah, no, but, I I think that's great, and there's some really fun um, lyrics in there. I've actually written a few of them down, and I'm wondering if you would mind. Um, me reading them out, and maybe you can unpack kind of the the meaning behind each of the lyrics. Yeah, sure. Um, so this first one, I don't know what's left to hold on to. Can't hold you. Can you hear me? One, two. Yeah. So that that bit is like, I imagine in my head like we're having a serious conversation, but they're just not there. Like they can't hear me, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's. That was that one. First, I thought it was very, like, first quite literal, I thought. Yeah. I just wanted to be very direct. And I like my songs to be, like, quite conversational. Like, I'm right there in the moment. Um, yeah. Mm, I feel like it um, definitely reminds me of a lot of conversations I've had with people when, you know, it, it's perhaps there's the influence of drug or alcohol and maybe people aren't sort of hearing the message that they should or things are being misinterpreted. Yeah. Is that kind of the vibe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, another lyric that I really liked, we fall in love, um, don't forget, is it because we've grown up on the internet? Yep, it's we fall in love, then we forget. Oh, is it yes. because we've grown up on the internet? Um, very close. Uh, that one, that's, like, that's actually my favourite line, um, of the song, and I, I kind of wanted to release this whole song just because I had that lyric in it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's probably the most powerful one for me in this song, and I feel like I'm I'm kind of just giving my own reflection on how I feel about relationships and where we're at with social media and the, our fast-paced lives that we live. Yeah, so that's that one. Mm-hmm. So, sort of looking at, I guess, the differences between what's real 
and what's being projected online. Yeah, the, yeah, there's that element as well. Mm. Um, we're, we're definitely diving deep here, aren't we? I know. I, I just love love unpacking <laughs> what's behind the song. Um, and finally, we come to the chorus: "Rainbow light yep. beam, rainbow, rainbow light beam." So <laughs> I I have to know: like, is the rainbow light beam is it literal or is it representative of of something else? I tried to be like quite literal with it. It's them spacing out, like mm-hmm. they're just like seeing rainbow light beams when you're trying to talk to them. Literally just tripping on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so here for it. No, it's it's a it's a great track. Um, and I'm wondering now if if you would like to introduce it for our listeners, and maybe we can play it. Of course. Um. So I'm Dirty Versace, and this is my latest single, Brenda Lapping.
Welcome back to 3CR Queering the Air. We're joined by Dirty Versace, um, and we just heard their track, Rainbow Light Beam. And this track was actually debuted at an event um, at Miscellanea last week called The Birth of Dirty Versace. So um, did you want to tell us a bit about how you sort of came up with this event? It was, it was I must say, I was very entertained, and probably one of my favourite parts was when you came out in a spaceship. Thank you. Um, so glad you were there to experience it. It was really fun and like super camp, and I'm glad all the ideas came together. Um, I collaborated very closely with my good friend Lockie Purcell, who was the creative director for the show and choreographer. So it was very much like a, a group effort to kind of like evolve the concepts and yeah, get them happening. Hmm. And what was sort of your favourite part of performing? I mean, it must have been pretty surreal after a couple of years of, of not being able to do that. My, I think, so for me, the event meant a lot because I launched Dirty Versace last year um, and I didn't expect that we would go into lockdown again. Like, I had all these plans for, like, doing a launch show last year and I'd even, like, spent two years before that, like, planning my entrance as Dirty Versace. So it kind of felt like all of, all of this, like, preparation for years was kind of, like, coming together. So I don't know if there was an, a one moment that was, uh, that really stood out. I feel like there was a whole thing, like, mm. just like a personal thing of, okay, we did this. So, Yeah. And it's very special for me. Just looking around the room, it brought so many people together um, and everyone was just feeling very connected. And someone else who was also in the crowd was your mum too, which is so sweet. Yes. <laughs> Does she come to a lot of your events? No, that was my... She lives in Brisbane, so... Um, and she has, hasn't been able to visit for a while because of the lockdowns. And, yeah, I launched Dirty Versace in like like the first time I was in drag was in January 2020 so mm. it was kind of a, it was the first time that she'd seen me perform in drag so it was kind of, it was very special to to have that yeah i'm so glad she came cuz i think it's so sweet to see um a family member support and you you heard sorry you played that uh track rainbow light beam but we also heard some of your other tracks too do you want to tell us a bit yeah. about what other songs um, you have out and maybe, like, what's one of the, the highlights of your discography? Yes, yeah, so, so far I've released four songs. So we have Sticky Fingers, um, which is my first single, then Resting Power, and I have a track I've collaborated with um, Mo Louie, which is called Permission, and I played a couple of unreleased songs, um, mm. Yeah, so I think I played three unreleased songs. Um, but I kind of just wanted to give a taste of, like, what the, like what a full Dirty Versace live show would um, be like. And, yeah, giving a few test, like, taste tests of what um, we could be releasing next. Mm, it's really exciting. And what, if you don't mind me asking, is coming next for Dirty Versace? It's on the down low. <laughs> okay, okay. We, but something's coming. 
Something's coming. Okay. Well, we can hold on to those four tracks um, with great pleasure, and we'll we'll wait <laughs> in anticipation for for whatever comes. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, where can we find you on social media and all of that good stuff? Yeah, uh, come to my Instagram. I feel like that's my little hub. So mm-hmm. if you just um, search Dirty Versace, uh, you'll find me. Perfect, and we will definitely pop. Um, that link in our show notes today. So if you are not familiar with the Instagrams, um, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash Queering the Air for more. Um, Well, Jodie Versace, it's been really great talking with you. Thanks so much for taking your time out of today. And yeah, best of luck with all of your future endeavours. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, Queering the Air. Um, That brings us to the end of our show today, but we've had some really fascinating conversations, firstly about the the Queer Death Collective um, and some of their events coming up. Specifically, there's a Queer Death Cafe on Tuesday the 6th, um, which is super exciting. Um, We also heard a bit of a a speech from The Vigil uh, for uh, the death of a a trans man, Rodrigo, in Bali. Um, And then lastly, heard from Dirty Versace, who is a a local um, NAM-based artist. So that brings us to the end of our show today. I've plugged this website about a hundred times throughout the last hour, but as per usual, if you're interested in any of those um, those initiatives or endeavors and you want to support, hop on board to 3cr.org.au forward slash queering the air. We're going to close now with a little bit of a house mix um, from DJ Miss Catalina. So I hope you enjoy. And up next is Salam Radio Show. Stay tuned. I'm